Eschaton. Praise the Lord and welcome to episode 11 of Eschaton, your deep dive into the last days. We're continuing our study this week in Matthew chapter 24, so I'd highly encourage you, if you have not read through Matthew 24 sometime recently or haven't looked at it since the last time we had an episode last week, uh, I'd encourage you to go ahead and read just that chapter once, pause this program, just go read through the whole chapter so you get the context again, and uh, of course we've got that covered a lot in our previous episodes, so if you're listening to all these back-to-back, you may not feel that's necessary, but I do that almost every single time, if not every single time, before I do one of these studies or one of these recordings, because I want to make sure I don't miss anything from the Word of God. I want to make sure I see exactly what He's trying to say, that the Holy Spirit has every opportunity in my life and in the time that I have to illuminate and to show me, glean more things from His Word. In fact, while I did that this time around, I was able to grab a few more things uh, right before recording, actually, that I'm going to be adding into my notes here. So I praise the Lord for that, and I thank Him for always showing and guiding me through the Word. Uh, If I haven't mentioned it already, my name is Sam Liedke, and I'll be your host here. And we're going to jump right into it. This is the return of Jesus Christ, Matthew 24, starting in verse number 29. So if you want to open your Bibles and read along with me, Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now the reason I've mentioned it before, but the reason I broke up with just this section, 29 through 31, is because that is a complete paragraph in the original, and uh, we'll be going into the parable of the pig, fig tree, <laughs> parable of the fig tree after uh, this week. I may end up doing for next week a like a frequently asked questions, kind of highlighting some things that have come up along the way. Uh, if you've got any questions, you've got any comments, please leave them in the comments section below, uh, whether this is on Facebook or on YouTube, or if you're listening on the podcast, I guess if you are listening on the podcast feed, I request that you go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that people can find this and they understand what it is. Um, I have had questions before, people saying, what is eschaton and i'm like well if you if you start studying it you'd understand eschaton you know is the end days the last days the last times but i know a lot of people haven't studied it and so eschaton they're like what is that uh part of the reason i went with the title to be honest is to give it a little bit of that mystery but it it really is a a special thing and as i've spoken to, to those around me multiple times if you'll ask them the pattern of eschaton the pattern of the last days the pattern of christ's return is everywhere. It's everywhere. If you look for it, if you understand the pattern, if you see the sequence of events, then you can start identifying it all throughout scripture. You start seeing it in all kinds of different places. Here's a fun one if you want to go study and just look it up yourself, is, is compare the the sequences given in Revelation with all the trumpets and all these things, and then go back to events like Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and see, you know, the seven days and the trumpets blown and all that stuff, and just start lining things up and comparing and, and contrasting between the two and see, see the patterns that God uses as he does his work. So I won't go into that too much more. But here, of course, this is a a special uh, section of scripture because he's talking about his actual return. Jesus mentions what's going to happen, what it's going to look like when he actually returns. If you're with us for the previous episodes, really the last couple episodes, Jesus references multiple times what it's not going to look like. You know, in in verses uh, just prior to this, he says, you know, he's not going to show up in the desert. He's not going to show up in the secret chambers. There's going to be people showing up all over saying, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. They're not Jesus, right? They're not, (laughs) you're not that guy, pal. So 
if we are on the lookout, if we know these things, then we're going to be aware when somebody shows up at your door and says, I'm Jesus Christ, you're going to say, no, you ain't, because you're not following according to what the scripture says, and you'll be able to, to identify and discern, in, especially in those last days as the day approaches. All right, so the first thing he mentions is that this happens in verse 29 there, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, I will say something, because I have kind of, I, I've kind of let it slip a little bit, and I apologize if I've confused anyone is that a lot of these passages that reference the end time specifically have confused a lot of people because everyone takes everything that's in them as immediately chronological. I'll tell you right now, if you read the book of Revelation, the next time you go read it through, which I encourage you to do, just, you know, whenever you're at liberty, to read the whole book so you get all the context of it and everything, remember that not every point, not every new paragraph, not every new chapter in scripture follows chronologically after the previous one. The very one of the easiest places to see this is in the book of Daniel, when you see his separate visions, he'll mention the beginning of a vision, but when you see the interpretations of the visions, you understand that these visions aren't following in sequence one after the other necessarily. They may be covering some of the same events, but there's some that overlap, there's some that circle back to things that happened towards the beginning that the other vision didn't cover, etc., etc. It's just like, almost like hearing a story from several different people, everyone highlights their their own uh, preferred moment, you know, what, what interested them. Visions are a lot like that, where you get specific points that are highlighted or, or made the center of that vision or, or, you know, that that vision covers as far as beginning to end, but that's not everything, right? You couldn't possibly, even John in the book of Revelation, a lot of the things he sees are not, uh, they're not literal in the sense of, you know, these are not physical items because they're visions, and it also is not all-encompassing, right? He doesn't give down to the very detail, you know, the kind of technology that was used during certain things or, you know, exactly which country this was or et cetera, et cetera. And that's why those things are given in symbols and in pictures and in types and in patterns is so that when they show up, you can identify them by those things, because otherwise everyone would get hung up on all of these little details that would get confusing. And, and as we've studied throughout, I've mentioned these at times, you know, where everyone says, well, this sign definitely means this, and this sign definitely means that. But if Jesus didn't say that, then we have to be very careful about asserting those things. Anyways, all that to say, this is one of the few times where we see very clearly a chronological reference point, right? Because he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So he's saying, this thing happens first, then immediately after that thing, then this other thing happens, right? Well, let's just make sure we know where we're at then in our kind of timeline. I know we haven't wrapped up the timeline yet for this passage uh, because we haven't gotten through this passage, but we'll, we'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks as well. But but let's see what he's talking about here. That word tribulation is the word for... Um, the thlipsis, thlipsis. It's got several consonants in a row there. That's a Greek term. It means uh, it's it's translated as of being afflicted, anguish, burdened, persecution, tribulation, trouble. Right. So. When, what's he talking about when he says the tribulation of those days? Well, the last time he used that word was in verse number 21, where he says, then shall be great tribulation. And that great tribulation he references there happens immediately after the abomination of desolation. So again, with all context in mind, Jesus is referring to the tribulation he just talked about, because he says immediately after the tribulation of those days. So what he's talking about is what most people would refer to as the great tribulation, which is the period of time that happens after the abomination of desolation and before the coming of the Lord, which we're about to talk about. So he says after the tribulation. So he's just letting us know there's a great tribulation, and then after that is when Jesus shows up. 
So the sun is darkened, Helios is darkened, is obscured, the moon, Selene, has no light or brilliancy left, the stars, the aster, fall from heaven, uh, Uranos is the word for heaven there, it means the sky, happiness, power, eternity, or air, and the forces, uh, that's the word dynamis or dynamis, where we get dynamic, right, the ability, the abundance, the power, the mighty works of the heavens will shake. The powers of the heavens, the forces in the heavens themselves will shake. That word shake is seluo, which means to waver, to agitate, disturb, incite, or move. So there's gonna be all kinds of moving and shaking going on, right? The sun's darkened, the moon's the moon's darkened, or not giving her proper light, and the stars are falling down from heaven, the powers of the earth, the heavens shall be shaken. So all the things that we think are so stable, all the things that God has established that, um, you know, in, in the book of Genesis after the flood, he says that seed time and harvest, you know, and a lot of these things are based upon the sun and the moon and the stars. He said those things will stand until he stops them, right? Those things will continue until he stops them. Well, that's how we know what is going on here is that God is stopping these things because something special is about to happen. I want to make reference back because I just found it fascinating. Fascinating, and this is this is a fun way to study too. I was turned on to this by um, Michael Heiser, who's a, who's a biblical scholar. Is to take words or or phrases even in the Greek or the Hebrew. And look where those words or phrases appear near each other or in the same verse throughout Scripture. So, for example, you take this verse here and uh, you see it mentions the sun, the moon, and the stars. Well, if we want to get a little more of just a picture in general of what the sun, moon, and stars, when those are referenced together, uh, what kind of things are happening when they're referenced together like that throughout the Scripture, we can we can just get a fuller picture and it's a, it's a quick way to look up things. Because you can look up the sun separately, the moon separately, the stars separately, and you can learn a lot through that if you're doing word studies. But it's kind of fun sometimes. Sometimes and very enlightening, I will say, to grab a few of the words together, and depending on what program you're in, there might be different ways of doing this. Uh, in the program I use, Bible Time, you can just look up different Strong's concordance reference numbers one after the other. So I got Strong's. Uh, what is this? The Sun is G2246, and then the Moon is G4582, and then the Stars is G792. So I just punched all those in together, and I told the program to find me verses where those show up in the same verse. And one of the verses I found fascinating that it led me to was Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. And this is Joseph's dream. And this is actually the first time that in the scriptures, it's referencing from the Septuagint anyhow, that I could find that these three verse, these three words were showed up in the same verse. Now let's see what happens in this verse. Again, thinking in the pattern of eschaton here. And he dreamed yet another dream. This is Genesis 37, starting in verse 9. And it's one of Joseph's dreams he's talking about. He dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And the word obeisance is kind of an older word. It means to prostrate yourself, to bow down before someone, right? You're humbling yourself. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down our to thee, to the earth. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. His father noticed it, and he he, he paid attention to it, right? He, he gave it, gave heed to this saying, this dream that Joseph had dreamed. And I want you to think about this dream in the context, again, of the pattern of eschaton, is that the sun, the moon, and the stars, if we look back to Genesis, of course, we see that those things were created by God himself. The sun, moon, and the stars must, by, by their very nature, they must fall prostrate. They must make, make obeisance to God himself, to Jesus Christ. And here we see a picture of that in Joseph's dream. Of course, if you study Joseph's life, Joseph is very much a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, and you see here that he has dreams that apply to his life, but they give us, a, again, just fill in a few more gaps and give us a little more light on the reason why some of these things happen. Because often when we see in the end times, it's just, you know, when we're looking through Revelation, we're like, it's just all kinds of crazy stuff. Things are exploding. There's stars falling out of the sky and water's turning to blood. And, you know, it's the plagues, right? That's that's what we're looking at. That's what we 
focus on. But we need to think about the reason why these things are happening. Specifically, when the sun, moon, and stars, the sun gets dark, the moon stops shining, the stars are falling from heaven. Why is that happening? It's because they are giving way. They are preparing the path for Jesus Christ. Nothing is allowed to steal the glory that Jesus Christ will have. This is another reason why when Jesus shows up, it will be unquestionable and no one will be tricked into thinking that was not Jesus or that someone else uh, you know, could possibly have done what Jesus d- does. Because when he shows up, even the stars, the moon, and the sun are going to bow before him, are going to be made low so that when he shows up, his glory is elevated beyond anything else that is around. You won't be able to have any light anywhere that will shine as nearly as bright or even try to compare to with Jesus Christ when he shows up. Uh, so th- this is this is the cosmic imagery, you know, the, the, the scope of what we're talking about here. When Jesus shows up, it's the entire world, it's the entire universe that is bowing down before him, just like like in uh, when they when they spread those palm leaves before Christ when he was on earth and they said Hosanna to the King blessed uh, be the name of the Lord you know the way of, of of the Messiah and all of that it's the same thing except this time it will be everything and everyone that will be crying out that will be bowing down before Jesus when he shows up so he will get his full due and his full glory all right so another passage is Deuteronomy chapter four verse nineteen Deuteronomy four nineteen I got to rush through here because we got a lot to cover and I I, I get tied up in all this stuff I know uh, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 419. This is just an interesting, another interesting reference where these three terms show up together. Uh, he's talking, of course, to the uh, people of Israel. Verse 14, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whether you go over to possess it. So that's kind of the context is these statutes and judgments. Uh, verse 19, lest thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So this is just, again, just a really quick kind of drive-by reference, but just keeping in mind that the sun, the moon, and the stars are not something to be worshipped. They are something that worships or that serves the Lord thy God. God, right? They bow down to God himself. This, of course, is what most people, and I myself would refer to this time, this period of time, is the day of the Lord. Uh, this is after the Great Tribulation, right? So after the abomination of desolation, the um, Antichrist figure, or, or, or Satan himself, is, is just doing, waging all-out war against the people of God, against Israel, against the saints, against the children of God, you know, whatever you want to call them. Anyone who's on the earth at that point in time who bows down before Jehovah, who bows down before Jesus Christ, is going to be persecuted during that Great Tribulation in a, in a great and mighty way. But then... The day of the Lord happens. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 11 is another point of reference here. Isaiah 13, verse starting in verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. And he shall destroy the sinners there of out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So we see here this day of the Lord as referenced here by Isaiah coincides with the stars of heaven, the constellations be going dark, the sun's going dark, the moon is going dark, and we see that again out of Matthew 24. So this is the day of the Lord. So uh, I don't think I mentioned it at the top of the show, but this passage in Matthew 24 we're looking at, verses 29 through 31, 
is paralleled in Mark 13, 24 through 27, and Luke 21, 25 through 28. So if you want to get a little more of context, a little more idea of how Jesus speaks to this stuff, there's the parallel passages. So this is the day of the Lord. It's also mentioned in Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 and uh, verse 1. Let's see here, Joel 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. That gives us the context for the next uh, section of scripture here. Let's skip down though to verse number 10. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble. This is talking about this... um, Things that are other things that are happening. We don't have time to go into all of it in Joel two. We'll, we'll have a separate study on Joel two. But I want you to see the the reference here. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. The stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? So we see here reference point for the army, the strength and the hosts of God are with him, right? And this is the day of the Lord. The sun and moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. The heavens tremble, etc., uh, etc. Et right? So all this stuff coincides at the day of the Lord. Let's jump ahead then to chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Chapter 3, starting in verse, was it 13? In the book of Joel, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So here we see a little more context. Again, the sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. Verse 15, this is the day of the Lord, right? And we see in verse 16 there, the Lord roars out of Zion, right? He is letting everyone know he has arrived. He has, he's declaring that, that, that sign of war, that he's, he's going to be, he's going to be committing war against his enemies. And it's interesting too, the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. I, I think it was last week, maybe in the week before we talked about how the return of Jesus Christ will be the, the most, the scariest, most depressing, most intimidating thing that will ever happen to his enemies because they will know that's him. We done goofed. He showed up and he's about to take us out. And that those enemies include both those who are actively seeking to persecute his people as well as those who have rejected the truth of his gospel. And and again, I don't have time to go into all of that, but that's heavily, heavily either implied or stated specifically throughout the entire New Testament. So you don't want to be one of God's enemies. But if you're one of his people, when the Lord shows up, the Lord will be the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel. So we know, um, and then verse 17, so shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. There shall no strangers pass through her anymore. Of course, that's allusion to talking about the uh, the, the messianic or the millennial reign that comes after this day of the Lord. So this is the time period we're talking about, right? The return of Jesus Christ is the day of the Lord. You see this referenced a lot throughout the scripture. I'm just going to go down a quick list. I don't have time to read all of them. Isaiah 34, verse 4, Ezekiel 32, verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 5, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 4 through 8, Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, Ecclesiastes, which, which I believe that's quoting Joel 2, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 7. And that's an interesting one too. If you want to, if you want to see just a really interesting passage, again, with the type and the pattern of eschaton, go look up Ecclesiastes 12, the first seven verses there. Uh, let's jump over to 1 Thessalonians, though, just to read one more in the New Testament here, so we understand that these things uh, are not just Old Testament references. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So here we see again, the day of the Lord is judgment. But in verse 4, we see that that day 
is also salvation. And again, this goes back to the type of every type of salvation throughout the scriptures. You see the type of the ark, where it's destruction for all of those on the earth, but salvation for Noah and his family. You see that for uh, the cross itself, where it's destruction of the body. It is death of sin. It is it is intended to be a destruction of Christ, but then you see that brings victory. There's salvation through the cross. And this type happens again and again through scripture, where it's the same event, the same thing, the, the Passover is the, is the same way, the same event that destroys the enemy of God also saves the people of God. They're done in the same stroke, and that's the power and the wisdom and the thing that only God can do is that through destruction, through judgment, through burning, right, through fire, he makes something better. He makes gold. He brings out what he wants to save, even though at this in the same stroke, he is destroying what he hates. Verse 4 here says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day, referring to the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Of course, it goes on there through the passage to encourage uh, the brethren. Uh, let's jump to one more, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's double check. I'm still recording. Awesome. 2 Peter chapter 3 and starting in verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, where not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this is another key thing to remember. Again, you see the order of things mentioned here. The idea of long-suffering and repentance, and then that comes before verse 10, which says, Day of the Lord. Uh, that long-suffering, the idea that all should come to repentance, that's what the tribulation is going to be about. This period of time, you know, most people would, would say it's going to be the seven years, right? Or the great tribulation, even the great persecution that happens from the abomination of desolation until Jesus comes back. The point of this is not to punish God's people. The point of this is to turn hearts back towards God. Judgment should begin at the house of God, so there will be revival, right? Actual revival, right? Revivification of those who have heard the word, but who have not followed through with it, or who have not, or who have left the, the way that God has shown them. Uh, there will also be those who are, and we see this even today, those who are called out of deception, called out of darkness into light, and who turn and see that there is more, that there is truth, and start pursuing God through this time. So it's going to be that that whole process is going to be is going to um, accelerate, is going to be tightened up, is going to be pushed to a greater pressure during those last those last few years before Jesus actually shows up and during during the whole time. And you see that this escalation, it's a it's really like a logarithmic progression, if you will, where things compound, right? Like compounding interest where, you know, in, in the in a thousand years before Jesus returns, things are at such and such a level, you know, whatever however you wanna you wanna measure that. And then a hundred years before he comes back, things have come up to another level. And then ten years before he comes back, things come back to another level. And then you see here that during these last seven years, everything turns up, the heat gets turned up even more. The last three and a half years, the heat gets turned up even more. And then the last you know, the days before he actually returns, things get turned up even more. You know, we see even the day of or the day before all, everything gets dark. You know, it's like everything, it's that last, that last breath, that last, uh, period of waiting or that last period of pressure before Jesus actually shows up and then boom, everything happens. And uh, it's just like when you see fireworks, right? And it shoots up those few moments where you're counting the seconds where you saw the firework go off and then you're counting for just a few seconds before it explodes. You don't know exactly when it's going to explode, but you know it will and you know it's going to happen very soon. It's the same thing. That same feeling is what's happening during these last days. All right, so we're here in, uh, oh, we already read that, Second Peter chapter 3. Let's jump down then to, uh, just, just as a point of reference, uh, this, as we've been talking about throughout Matthew 24, another great study, another great comparison to do is take Revelation chapter 6-ish and compare it with Matthew chapter 24 and see how this, the seven seals coincide in, in the same sequence with the things that happen in Matthew 24. Now, again, we have not done our study in Revelation yet, so I'm not going to say myself definitively that the seven seals are the things that happen 
in Matthew 24. I hope that I'm not confused anyone with that. Uh, the interpretation of those seals, we will we'll get to when we, when we get to that passage. However, again, we do, we do want to notice, we do want to see that God works in types and patterns and shadows and symbols on the earth. And we see, uh, I've heard a great quote that history does not always repeat, but very often it rhymes. So we see the same patterns happen again and again. And that's why the book of Proverbs is still effective today. That's why the truth that God speaks still works and still happens, where he says things like, a pride goeth go before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That's a pattern, that's a sequence that always happens, right? Someone gets pride in their heart, they lift themselves up, and then a fall comes after that. Now, the, the amount of time that that sequence takes may differ, but we see that, you know, with Satan, he rose himself up, he got a haughty spirit, he got pride, and what's going to happen? In the end, we see his fall comes. Now, that didn't happen the next day, but, although it did when he was pushed out of heaven, but anyways, but we see his final fall, right? His final end doesn't happen until the end. But you see that all the time with people, uh, you can look around at politicians, you can look around at CEOs, uh, even maybe a pastor of a church somewhere. You see when pride rises up in their heart, you see when, when they turn themselves to that, when they listen to pride and they actually give themselves over to it and they build themselves up and they start building their little kingdom, then a fall is coming. That's all you're waiting for is, again, you can you could just like start counting down the seconds, counting down the hours and be like, all right, how long is this one going to last before the fall? Because the fall will happen. Uh, these patterns and types coincide because that's how God does things. That's how God likes to do things. And uh, I don't know that I can necessarily explain that, but all we can do is identify it and understand the mind of God a little bit more through it. So let's jump over to Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, and look at the sixth seal. This one in particular uh, is very closely paralleled. Revelation 6, starting in verse 12, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. We saw that in several of the other passages about the day of the Lord. The earth is shaking, right? The sun became black, a sackcloth of hair. There's our sun going dark, and the moon became as blood. There's the moon going dark, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth. There's our stars falling. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Again, we won't go into it until uh, another week or two, but the fig tree reference is very interesting considering the very next thing Jesus says in Matthew 24 after talking about the day of the Lord is a fig tree. Uh, when she was shaken of a mighty wind, that a heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Uh, let's see here. Uh, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And here we see uh, the reference. You can also see this in Isaiah 2, Isaiah 24 verses 21 through 23. I think we'll read those in just a second. But here we see that a little more, a little more is light is shed on this, that the day of the Lord is the day of his wrath. The day of the Lord, when he shows up, when Jesus shows up in power and glory to wage war against his enemies, that's when his wrath actually begins. So don't let people misguide you to say that the tribulation period prior to this is from the, is the wrath of the lamb, because it doesn't begin until Jesus himself shows up. Let's jump over to Isaiah 24. We can see this again there in Isaiah chapter 24. You always want to compare scripture with scripture. If you ever hear anyone making a reference to a doctrine that either is read between the lines, quote unquote, of a scripture, or it only uses one scripture as a reference and they build an entire belief off of that, it's very dangerous. Uh, there are scriptures that give us a little more insight, a little more truth, but the only reason we know those scriptures are talking about the same event or referencing the same concept is when we compare it with other scripture. And then we say, oh, okay, so when this scripture tells us, you know, A, B, and C, this other scripture tells us there's actually something that happens before A, and there's actually a D that happens afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way, as, as I spoke of earlier, a lot of these visions are in scripture, where you're getting, you're getting different colors being painted onto the picture, but not all of them are filled in with every vision. So you have to take them all together and kind of work your way through all of them to get the full picture painted. Uh, Isaiah 24, starting verse 21. 
And it shall come to pass in that day, of course, this is talking about the day of the Lord, that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. So here we see God starts casting down judgment. He starts uh, waging war. He starts judging people. They shall be gathered together as prisoners gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Here we see the, the picture is like prisoners of war. After many days shall they be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Again, we see the, the co- coincides the moon and the sun going dark or, or being pushed aside with Jesus coming to reign. And again, this is actually covering a little bit different part of the timeline, but it's referencing the same concepts because these things are perpetual once they happen. All right, and again, that was also uh, in Isaiah 2. You can see some of that. All right, so that's verse 29 <laughs> in Matthew 24. Let's go to verse 30 then. Let's jump back here to Matthew 29 and, uh, or Matthew 24, excuse me, verse number 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So we had the great tribulation, then we had all of these other things happening that are signs of Jesus coming, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And that word sign there, uh, we have to be careful when we see that word because we like to interpret that as a sign meaning a uh, meaning a more concrete thing, concrete thing like a a road sign or a you know a sign on a building. The scriptural term sign, like here, for example, is semeion, which means, is usually uh, translated as an indication. It's a ceremonial, a supernatural indication. Uh, it's a miracle, a sign, a token, or a wonder. I think we may have looked at this previously with uh, some of the signs and wonders that uh, people will be doing. But in other words, as a sign, it's it's just an indication. It's to, to lead you to understand a certain thing, right? The sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then there's a colon after that. So what's the sign of the Son of Man in heaven? All the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Of course, if you listen to the first couple episodes of this podcast, you'd know in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about his return coming in the clouds, right? So you can just, you could just kind of, as I've heard someone say, you could reverse the film, you know, as, as he went up, it's like he's going to come back down the same way in the clouds, but this time he'll have power and great glory coming with him and all of this. Uh, so all tribes, all tribes will mourn. All the filet, all the races, clans, or kindreds of the earth will mourn. That word mourn means is is uh, copto, which means to chop, to lament, mourn, to wail, right? So there's going to be great wailing, gnashing of teeth. We hear these things go- coinciding, right? Because again, this, the enemies of God will understand this is Jesus Christ. This is that God I rejected. And here he is now and he's shown up and it's over. It's over. All right. This is also in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions of Behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Uh, That's in Daniel. Then we also see it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, which I've read multiple times. So for sake of time, we'll just move on. As Christ appears in the clouds of heaven, as we talked about in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. So this is the sign of the Son of Man, that he shows up in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it's only after all these other things have happened. The great tribulation, the stars falling, the moon uh, giving out, the sun being darkened, the powers of the heaven being shaken, etc., etc., So the sign of the Son of Man is all of these things happening, leading up to, and then the actual sign is him showing up in the clouds with power and great glory. Let's go over to Titus chapter um, 2. Titus chapter 2. That word power and great glory is, is dynamis, which we've talked about multiple times, forces or powers. Great means polis, so it's many, it's it's uh, multiple, large, abundant, altogether. And glory is where we get that word doxa or doxology, you've heard that term before. It's the word, it means dignity, honor, praise, or worship. So he's going to be getting all the power, all the glory, all the worship 
uh, all, any anything possible will be given to him at that point. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he may redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So this is a passage that some people have used, and, and I haven't touched on it specifically or pointedly yet because I'm I'm planning a separate episode about this, but this is a passage some people use to reference or to talk about what they would call the rapture as a separate event, as a, or like the pre-tribulation or, or mid-tribulation rapture. The reason I have a problem with it is because of these verses right here. People talk about it as the blessed hope. This is just one of the verses. Uh, again, we'll be going over this in more detail. Um, my personal belief, and everything in Scripture I have ever seen coincides with this, is that the quote-unquote rapture rapture event, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming, those are all the same event. They don't necessarily all happen in the exact same moment. They may happen in sequence, but they're part of the same event, which leads into the day of the Lord and him executing his wrath on the earth. Here's why. is because when you look here, uh, verse 13, it says, looking for that blessed hope, right? So we're looking forward to the return of Jesus and the glorious appearing. So that glorious appearing coincides with everything we just looked at about the return of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ shows up in the clouds, hovering above the clouds, and he's invisible, and he only comes back for the church, and they're the only ones who know that he's returned, and then they, they go away and they go do other things for a while before he actually returns physically to earth, where's the glory? Why would God be comfortable having a moment of diluted glory in that moment, and why would he describe it here as the blessed hope being the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, that he may redeem us from all iniquity, purify himself, peculiar people, all of these things. You know, you see that the words that talk about the return of Christ and the rapture, which I always put in quotes because it's it's not a, a Bible word. I know it's a Bible concept, but I like using Bible words as much as possible. So I, I tend to refer to that as the harvest, the great harvest, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, the, all of those things coincide, right? They all coincide, and it all leads into Jesus brings his people out of the way, brings us over to his side, gathers us in with him, and then he begins his reign, which actually starts with a war, right? He, he, he actually comes in. He's been laying siege on the earth for the during the tribulation period, and then he comes in, and he actually wages war against his enemies, strikes them down, and then sets up his throne. And that's the, the, the sequence that we see throughout all these things. Um, anyways... Like I said, that's a whole other study. I've got another episode coming up, so keep an eye out for that about the the rapture. Uh, let's see, Second Thessalonians one verses six to ten, which again is another verse that people use talking about the rapture event. Chapter starting chapter six verse. Let's see, one verse six. Seeing it as a or this this these two books, first and second Thessalonians, if you want to read more about the the return of Jesus coming back for his people, there's stuff in here about it. Seeing it as a righteous thing, this is first second Thessalonians one verse six says, Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Hmm. So this is God taking vengeance, right? He is bringing tribulation against those who brought tribulation against his people. Uh so to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So there we see when Jesus comes back, we saw this in an earlier passage that he has an army with him, right? He revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. We mentioned this earlier as well. If you don't know God, you're an enemy of God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't obey the gospel, if you don't follow through with what God's asked you to do as the gospel, then you are not, you are none of his. If you don't have his spirit, you are none of his 
his, if you have not been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, if you are not subjected to him, you are not one of his, who shall be punished, verse 9, with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. When? When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. So there we see these things all go together. Jesus comes back, taking vengeance on them that know not God, punishing those who have troubled or punished his children. He also glorifies his saints and he's admired in everyone who already believes him, right? We see these things all go together as part of the same event. All right, so let's go over to verse 31 in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 31. I'm hurrying along because I know uh, I have gotten mentioned that these episodes are long and I apologize, but then again, I don't apologize because <laughs> this is good stuff and we all need to hear it. Uh, if you need to just listen to half the episode and you know, on the way to work and half on the way home, you won't bother me at all. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse number 31. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So again, we see these things all happening at the same time. The sign of the Son of Man, uh, all the, the tribes of the earth mourn, they know they're in trouble, they see the Son of Man, he has power, he has glory. What happens? He sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I won't get into all the specifics of the ideas of the four winds and all that stuff, uh, but we do see this is the point at which this harvest happens, when Jesus sends out his angels. Now, what am I talking about with the harvest? Well, let's go over to Matthew chapter 13. So these angels are sent forth as mess they're messengers, right? But there's but they do a lot more than carry messages. They're used as God's arm, they're used as God's ministers on the earth in Hebrews chapter one. You can read about that. But Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, we see a very interesting point where uh, we see God actually talk about what his angels do. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not... Thou Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Here we see again, uh, just, an, just another little reference, where we see that the harvest of both the tares and the wheat happens at the same time. Time. There's not a separate previous event where the wheat is uh, gathered up and then the tares are gathered up seven years later. No, we see this happens at, as part of the same harvest. We also see, and he, he mentions it here, and, and again, don't have time to go into all of this, but he says, gather you together first the tares. All right. So, so what is all this talking about? Let's jump down to see the interpretation of this because Jesus uh, on this one, he gives us the specific interpretation starting in verse number... 13 verse number 36. So it's after he's giving these parables out. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So that's Jesus. The field is the world. That's the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. That's the children of the kingdom, right? The saints, the children of God, those who believe, those who are actually, you know, have the spirit of God, etc., etc. The tares are the children of the wicked one. And the the one there you may notice is in italics, which means it's, it's to try to clarify so really, the original Greek literally says the tares are the children of the wicked. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So we see here that harvest 
is coincides with the end of the world. The reapers, so the servants that he sends out to do this harvesting, are the angels. Verse 40, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So we see here that his angels are sent forth, and as they accompany him, they discern and separate good from evil. They can tell the tares from the wicked already. Uh, This is referenced in many different places. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. 16, verse 27. It says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So there we see Jesus talking about when he returns, this is how it's going to work, right? He's going to come back. He's going to have an army with him of his angels. They're going to do his work, helping to separate out the tares from the wheat, the good from the bad, right? His children, the, the, the sheep from the goats, his children from those who are not his children. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Uh, going over to Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And a few verses following that, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. So there's, we see again, Son of Man, this Jesus, glory's happening, all the angels with him. This is the day of the Lord. This is the second coming of Christ. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So that's when he's going to actually establish his throne. Before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And that all the, after that, and we'll talk about this as we go on to study Matthew 25, but that whole rest of that passage then is this judgment of the nations that goes on there. Uh, jumping over to Mark chapter 8, verse number 38. Uh, Mark 8, verse 38. I'm not seeing verse 38. So I must have written that down wrongly. Is it verse 28? No. I'll have to recheck that one. Uh, let's jump over to... Oh, I'm in I'm in Matthew. That's why. Mark chapter 8, verse number 38. I wish I could turn pages as fast as I could click through, but it's when you're recording, it makes it way, way easier to just click through everything. Matthew 8, verse 38. Whosoever, this is Jesus talking, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when? When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, when this, when he comes the second time, when he comes back, this time with full glory, this time with the holy angels with him, he's going to be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him, and he will be proud of those who are proud of him. All right. Uh, you can also see this in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Luke chapter 16, verse 22, and then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. All right. So going back to Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 31 there. I'm going to try to try to wrap this up sometime soon here. Uh, he shall send his angels great sound of a trumpet. That word trumpet is the word uh, sal- salpinx, which is the idea of a quavering or a verberation. It's a it's a trumpet, right? It's something that that shakes everything. It's 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 part of the pronouncement, right? That's happening when Jesus shows up. We see this also in First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and starting in verse number 50 towards the end of the chapter here. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, this is Paul writing uh, under inspiration, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit corruption, incorruption. There we see if, right? When Jesus shows up or if you're trying to get to heaven, you're not going to get there without that spirit living inside of you. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, he's talking about the resurrection. And this it's another, <laughs> another whole study is the idea of the resurrection in the Old Testament. They knew about the resurrection. There was a debate, actually. The Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed, and I always forget which one was which, but one group believed that the resurrection was a literal, actual resurrection. The other ones did not believe it would happen or, or had just a different interpretation of the scriptures, and so they were always fighting about that, which is part of the reason why it's so interesting that they banded together against Jesus because they were very, very, had strong disagreements on interpretation of the scripture. That's, all, again, a whole other topic. But here he's talking about the resurrection. Verse 51, he says, we shall not all sleep. We're not all going to 
die. We're not all going to be dead in that day, right? When, when Jesus shows up, everyone's not going to be dead before that point, but we shall all be changed. So we may not all be dead, but we will all be changed. Those who have died or not died will be changed. What does it mean to be changed? That's that word uh, alasso, which means to be made different. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Here's our trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So, death is swallowed up in victory. That idea of death being actually finally the consummation of that, right? The actual final victory being done, it was it was done at the cross. It was made true at the cross. However, it will not have been consummated. It will not have been actually finished until all of those who are Christ's shall have been harvested, shall have been brought in, right? When we have been changed from corruptible bodies to incorruptible bodies. And that happens in verse 52, which says, in the twinkling of an eye, which is faster than the blink of an eye, right? It's, it's the fastest thing ever. At the last trump, uh, the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. The sting of death is sin. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 55. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that victory. We, we now put faith in that victory, right? We may not see have seen Christ coming. You may die before Jesus Christ returns, but you're putting that hope, that blessed hope in the victory that he will do when he does show up and that he's already done spiritually at the cross. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So this day will come. This day is going to happen. So your work is not in vain. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 through 18 covers this as well, this idea of the trumpet sounding alongside his return. Revelation chapter 11 verses 15 through 19. Uh, then we also see it in Revelation 14 verses 14 through 16. Isaiah 19 verse 1. Joel chapter 3 verses 13 through 16. There's this idea of the harvest of God's wheat. And that's also mentioned in James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, and then John 15, verses 1 and 2. And we'll jump over there to finish out here, John 15, verses 1 and 2. We see this language pop up again and again and again throughout the New Testament. And, and here we see a very clear, uh, clear point where Jesus expresses this. I am the true vine, chapter 15 of John, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So Jesus is the vine and God the Father is the husbandman. And we see this language, this depiction shown of, of just expressing his relationship, how he, how he relates with different portions of this process. But the vine is the church. And that's why it's so important to be in the vine, to be in the church in these last days. Because he says here, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So not only should you be in the vine, should you be part of the church, part of the body of Christ, you should be bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, what does he do? He, is, he will take away that, that branch, just like you prune a tree. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. So he's going he's gonna to cut off those suckers. He's going to clean it up, right? So it brings forth more fruit. And again, this is, this is the, I, I hate overusing the term mystery, but this is kind of the mystery. This is kind of the the connotations given for the last days, for the tribulation, for the eschaton pattern, is that it is not a pattern of judgment for God's people in the sense that he's punishing God's people. The tribulations that happen are to perfect God's people. He's burning out all of the wood, hay, and stubble. He's cleansing the, the temple. He is, he is pruning the tree. He is 
purging, he's heating up and purging out all of the imperfections, all the impurities, so he's left with pure gold. So our our stress, our desire, our focus during these last days as we're going into and, and preparing for this harvest when God shows up is to be the best of the harvest, right? The cream of the crop to be that harvest that is ready to be harvested and that is fully has fully borne all the fruit possible. That should be our goal. That should be our focus. If you're not bearing fruit, if you're not in the body, you need to get in the body. You need to, you know, Acts 2.38, you need to repent of your sin, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and then you will receive the Holy Ghost, which will empower you to do just this, bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, and bearing more fruit, and bearing good fruit, right? You look again, look up the word fruit all throughout the New Testament. We should be bearing fruit. We should be bearing a lot of fruit, bearing good fruit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You know, all this stuff. You can't do all of that unless you are one of his, unless you're in the body, and unless you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you need to get on, bo- get on board that train. But once you are, as those previous verses we were looking at, stay steadfast, stay immovable, continue on, continue in the way that God has shown you, and don't give up. Because these things that happen, they may trouble the world, right? They may be shaking the foundations of the earth itself, might be trembling, but if you're with God, if you're hidden with him, you'll be in under the shadow of his wings. You will be protected. But those things in your life, those things that, those people in your life, maybe, that draw you away from God, those those things that allow demonic forces to enter into your home, those things that allow your mind to be overtaken by your flesh, those things are going to get purged. They will have to get purged. You can't take them with you, right? This In these last days, he's going to be perfecting and purging so that the only thing left will be the true vine and the true branches in it that are bearing good fruit and much fruit. So it's encouraging if you're one of God's and if your goal in life is to pursue God and to be holy to be holy and to be sanctified. If your goal is just to escape destruction and just to kind of skate by, you want to second guess that. You want to you want to take a second thought. You want to go before the face of God and say light in me a fire, a desire to bear fruit, a desire to be what you want me to be. And and I know I, I try not to get too preachy in in these lessons because that's not really the goal of these, but I just feel um led to to mention these things because these last days are upon us. These last days are approaching. I'm recording this as of October 30th, 2021, and we are seeing those signs that we've talked about throughout this study uh, in Matthew 24, especially the birth pangs phase. They're happening. We're, we're there. We're here. Uh, you can debate and argue about which seal is which and when things are happening, but you cannot argue, and the Spirit will confirm with you if you ask Him that we are in the last days. We are entering into this period, and we are in this period, and like I said, everything's just going to keep accelerating, which means you need to get on the train, you need to get on board, you need to get on the path that God wants you on and follow hard after him. Be willing and open to purge your life. I I was just reflecting with my brother yesterday and God has led us to purge from our lives many, many little things. It's all those little things. You're like, that doesn't really matter. Or I only look at that every once in a while, or I only listen to that when I feel like it. That's the kind of stuff that, that is going to start getting purged and that of necessity will be purged from your life. If you don't do it, if you don't submit to God telling you, if you don't look for it and ask God to reveal it to you and get it rid of, of it yourself, he, he may have to do it by force. As it says here, he may purge it. He might take away your your branch if you're not bearing fruit, if you're allowing the cares of this world to tie you up more than the love of Christ. And uh, so I, I just feel a felt a sense of need to exhort you today. You know, it's encouragement if you are on the path, if you are following God, continue, keep doing it. Look out for those who are doing it as well, who are following after God. Encourage one another, build yourselves up in your faith. But you may have to drop some friendships. You of necessity will drop some friendships. You will drop some family members. You will drop some 
beloved items in your life. You will drop some music that you grew up with. You will drop that your favorite movie from your childhood. Whatever it is, God may say, look, I know you like that, but that's your flesh that likes that. And if you're going to be with me, if you're going to be on my side, if you're going to be in my army and be, and be part of that harvest, I need you to let that go. And we need to be open and willing and ready to allow God to do that so that we're not troubled in these last days, so that it's not a time of pain, but it's a time of pleasure. It's a time of excitement as we look forward, as we're, as, as I said earlier, as you're holding your breath, counting the seconds until that firework, that firecracker goes off, until that explosion of glory when Jesus Christ actually shows up. I appreciate everyone who listens, and uh, I thank you so much. I pray that God blesses you for listening to the podcast. Please spread it, uh, subscribe, like it, all of those good things, and share it with those who you think God would bless through this ministry. Uh, I appreciate you so much, and I pray that God blesses you today. You are listening to your Apostolic Radio. At a church radio.